for the last while, I've been working on cultivating things covenant in our church. We're bringing things in that are from our denomination or from our family of churches so that we could be more connected with our church. Part of this came out of my trip to the annual meeting in June and seeing how great it is to be a part of this family of churches. To see and to hear again our emphasis on discipleship, on our relationship with God. To see our emphasis on mission of church planting and sending out missionaries. And our emphasis on justice and mercy. It can be wrapped up in this, in this saying right now from the covenant, this theme saying for the covenant, that more disciples among more nations in a more caring and just world. As I know more and more about our covenant, because I didn't grow up in a covenant church, but as I become more and more a covenanter, I love this church. I love who we are as a family of churches. It's interesting, as I've learned some about it, what it means to be a covenanter, that in the early days, the covenanters used to ask each other, how goes your walk? I love this question. You get a sense for who we are as a church. How goes your walk? Not how much have you tithed this month. Not how often have you gone to church this month. But how goes your walk? How goes your relationship with Jesus Christ? From the beginning, these are the questions that we've asked. How are you doing with Jesus? How's your relationship with Him? Well, it's interesting, it made me think of this some as I, was, as I was working through the passage for this week, through this letter that Paul's written. It's interesting, in these last few sermons, and especially today, how many times Paul talks about walking. Three times he talks about walk this way. Walk in faith, or walk in love. Or don't walk like the world does. In our, in our passage this morning, I think he, they translate it as live, which I, I think get that what they mean in the Greek, but literally it's walk. So I see this connection with us and covenanters. How goes our walk? Well, Paul begins talking to the church in Ephesus, and he says, as children of God, imitate God and walk in love, or live in love. Now, the first thing I want to talk to us about, the first thing I want to bring out, is that he says, as beloved children of God. You are beloved children of God. This is where it begins for us. So before we try and go make ourselves more holy or make ourselves more obedient, to realize the identity we already have. To realize the reality of who we already are. You are beloved children of God. The living God loves you. And it's out of this identity that you can go on and do these other things. That you can even follow Christ. This is where we always begin. You are beloved children. Amen? You are beloved children. But Paul goes on to say, as beloved children, imitate God. I was reading that, I was thinking, wow, that's, how do we imitate God? I mean, God is transcendent. I mean, all-knowing, all-powerful. And it occurred to me that I think Paul is talking about Jesus here. Because Jesus is our example of God. He is our model of God in the flesh, of what God is like. In John's Gospel, it begins... The Word was with God. The Word was God. He talks about the, that the Word came and dwelled among us, that Jesus is God. And then in the letter to the Philippians, Paul says that Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Again, Jesus is God. He is the Son of God, divine in Himself. So in Jesus, we have this model of what it means to imitate God. This is who we imitate. We imitate Jesus. 
Now, some of you may be wondering, like, well, how do we do that? What, is, what does Jesus look like? I encourage you to read the Gospels. Many of you have read them over and over. This is what it's like to imitate Jesus. This is what Jesus was like. We watched as He loved people who were unlovable. As He cared for people that no one else cared for. He spoke encouraging words. Sometimes painfully honest words. But He was constantly encouraging people to enter the kingdom of God. Bringing people into a relationship with Himself and with His Father in Heaven. This is the model that we have. This is what it means to imitate God. To love those who are unlovable. To care for people. To encourage them in a relationship with Jesus and God our Father. But not only is Jesus our model to imitate, He's also the means by which we can even do it. It would be impossible for us to imitate God if it weren't for what Jesus had done. If it weren't for the Spirit that He had put in us. The fact that He lived and died on a cross and then rose again. So not only is Jesus our model, but He's also the means by which we even have a chance to imitate God. Everything comes back to Christ. He's the means by which we even can do this. I think Paul, he's trying to show us this because he says, love as Jesus loved, or, or walk in love, or live in love as Jesus has loved you. And Jesus has loved you. Jesus lived, and then he walked among us, healing people, bringing people this good news of the kingdom of God. And then he did all this, and he went and suffered and died on a cross. Died on a cross that we might have life. That we might live with him. That we might live in the presence of God. Jesus, from his own words, said, No greater love has a man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And he has laid down his life for us. This is the ultimate act of love. This love that sacrifices itself for the sake of another. And Paul encouraged us to imitate God in this way. Each of us to love each other, even when it takes sacrifice from ourselves. To love our spouse when it takes sacrifice from ourselves. To love our neighbor, even the really difficult ones, when it requires sacrifice from us. This is the love that that Paul is encouraging us to. This is the love that, that God's Spirit is speaking to us. This is the love we are to have. This morning, this passage begins with love. Love is the basis of our faith. Our relationship with God. Realizing how much God loves us. Realizing how much we love God. And how much then we love each other. This is the foundation of our faith. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. This is the basis of our faith. A few weeks ago, we went through a whole series on God's love. As I've spent time in that, as I've spent time studying for sermons, reading book after book, it began to change me. It revived my heart. Reminded me how much God loves us. How much our Father in Heaven loves you. You see, it's out of this love that we are able to live our faith. To just try and live and follow Jesus without this love is going to be difficult. And eventually we will fail. We know stories of it. People who stopped loving God but still tried to act Christian and eventually things fall apart. 
Or sometimes we imagine what it would try to be like to obey Jesus, to obey His teachings without love. Without love, obedience is nothing more than legalism. And legalism is destructive to people. It destroys people. Everything comes back to love, to our relationship with the living God, to our relationship with Christ. Everything comes back to this, to love, realizing God's love for us, our love for God, and then our love for each other. Paul says, be imitators of God. Be imitators of Jesus. And walk in love. Love each other. But don't be like this world. He says, don't even let these sins be, don't even let there be a hint of these sins among you. These sinful things, like porneia. That's the Greek word, and it's this broad word. In, in English, they've translated it as sexual immorality. This is everything that is sexual that is not inside marriage. This is everything sexual that, that happens outside of marriage. Marriage is the one good place. It is the good place that God has given us for sexuality. As you read through Genesis, you read, God did this. God on the first day, He created and it was good. Second day, God created and it was good. And finally, He gets the man. He creates Adam. And it was not good because He was alone. So he created Eve, and then it was very good. This is the one good place for sexuality. So Paul's talking about pornea, and he says, don't even let there be a hint of this among you. Among prostitution, adultery, homosexuality. Don't let these things even be mentioned among you. In our time, I think things that we could add to that, we could add pornography. Don't let these things even be hinted at among you. This is not who you are. This is not who you are in Christ. He goes on to talk about impurities and greed. Don't let greed be named among you. Now this word for greed has this image of money grubbing. This idea of every, if you always need more, like just snatching pennies from people. This lust for more and more. It's interesting. Yesterday I watched this show, Inside Job. It's a documentary about the financial system in the U.S. and all the trouble it's caused. I've been thinking about it some, and they talked about it. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a documentary definitely with a slant, trying to point the finger at, at businesses. And, and there's large financial corporations who've done horrible things, taken people's money and just blown it, basically robbed people. And they're greedy. But it's interesting because there's no finger pointing back to all the people who were taking these, these loans that they knew they couldn't afford. <laughs> they wanted to say it's the business's fault. And I think there's a lot of complicity there with businesses writing bad loans, predatory loans. But there's also people who were taking loans that they couldn't afford because they wanted more. It's a result of a greedy society. It's a society that's wanting more and more all the time. That's interesting. There's this movie, actually it's... Uh, uh, Wall Street 2, <laughs> Money Never Sleeps, that's the title of the movie. And they asked him, how much do you want? And he said, when's it enough? And he said, it's never enough. It's not about enough. It's always about more. I think that's what Paul's getting at here when he talks about this greed. This greed of always 
needing more. And he says, don't even let there be coarse language among you. Dirty jokes. Natural, literal Greek is stupid talk. Or moron talk. Don't let this be conversation like this. He says, because these sort of things, sexual immorality, greed, these sort of things have no place, no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. Now that's a pretty big thing to say. No inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. Now I think what Paul's talking about here is a lifestyle or a pattern of these things. A pattern of sexual immorality. A pattern of sexual or uh, uh, money or greed. He's talking about a pattern or a lifestyle. A life, I'm choosing to live like this. I think this is what Paul is talking about. Because we are all sinners. We too know that we fall short of the glory of God. And yet there's still grace for us because we believe in Christ. And because we repent and we turn around and follow Him. But I think what he's talking about here are people who, who have rejected Jesus, who have rejected God and want to live their own life. They make their life all about things like sexual immorality. They make their life all about money and success and greed. They have no share in the kingdom of God. But there is good news. There is grace. Even the worst of the worst, there is grace. If you struggle with these things, if you find yourself in a pattern, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's greed, there is grace. God loves you. And if you will repent, and this idea of repent is walking one way, stopping, feeling contrition, feeling sorry for it, and turning and walking back towards God. If you will do this, there is grace for you. There is love and acceptance. A place with God. This is the good news. There is grace for us. So don't talk in these things, or don't, be, don't find yourself doing these things. Talking in coarse ways. But rather speak in gratitude. Be grateful. Be grateful. This is the fundamental position of, of a Christian is gratefulness. Gratitude for what God has done. What He's done in history. The cross. His life, His death, His resurrection. And what He does in our own lives. The way He provides for us. When we are attentive to what has happened and we see the way God has provided again and again and again. Gratitude. Gratitude is one of the greatest antidotes to things like sexual immorality. Be grateful for our spouse. Be grateful this is the person that God has given us. And it really helps with greed. I can speak from my own experience. Being grateful for what God has given us. I find myself, when I start saying, God, thank you for this. I praise you for this, for providing this, providing these people. I stop thinking about all the stuff that I need and, thought, and think that I need to have in addition to what I already have. Gratitude. Gratitude for this life that we have. Gratitude that Jesus died on a cross and has given us life. Not just life squeaking by, but life more full. Filled with joy, as Chris was talking about this morning. Joy that goes beyond our circumstances. This resilient joy that remains in us, despite what's happening to us. 
So don't live by these things. By, don't, live, don't even let these sins be hinted at in your church. But rather, be, grati- be grateful. Speak in words of gratitude. Because you are children of light. Paul says, you were once darkness, but now you are the light. You are the children of light, children of God. Citizens of the kingdom of God. This is who you are in Christ. This is your identity of who you are. All you need to do is live into it. Live into this reality of who you already are. And Paul encouraged us to discern what God is, the good things that God has for us. Discern what is right, what is fair, and what is just. But go beyond that, discern what is good. To be more than fair, to be generous. To be more than just, to be gracious and merciful and loving. To live in the truth. To live in the truth that Jesus is the King. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And what I mean by this is oftentimes we see our world, our world lives in a way that, that would say that Jesus is not true. The way they live, the choices they make. They would say Jesus is not the Son of God, just by the way they live. The trouble is, we as Christians struggle against this ourselves. There's so much, so much gravitational pull towards the way that our world lives. That there are Christians, and we know of them, maybe some of them are us, who profess Christ, who say, I believe in Jesus Christ, and yet we tend to live like everybody else. We tend to live like everyone else who doesn't care, doesn't care about Jesus at all. Paul is saying, live out the truth. Show people that it's true by the way that you live. That you live differently. Don't be caught up in the fruits of darkness. Fruits of darkness that, are, that provide or that bring brokenness to our lives. Sinful things that bring brokenness to our homes. Brokenness to our marriages. Brokenness to our relationship between our children and our parents. Brokenness that tears down our community. Brokenness that breaks apart our church. Don't take part in these. Don't take part in in this fruit of darkness. Paul says don't take part in it, but rather expose it. And the word here has sort of three parts to it. One is expose, and then confront and admonish. Expose the darkness for what it is. And partly we do this by the way that we live. What I mean by this is there are people who say, of course I cut corners. Of course I I cheat on my taxes. Everybody does. You'd be a fool not to. At that point, do we have a chance as Christians to say that I don't? I believe there is a better way. Because of my relationship with Christ, I believe my integrity is worth more than a few dollars. I believe that my honor is worth more than that. We shine light on the darkness by living a different way. Someone says, you know, uh, human trafficking, it's horrible, but, you know, it's just what people do. It's the way of the world. And we live differently. And we say it's not the way it's supposed to be. And we do something about it. 
We shine light on the darkness by the way we live. And we shine light on the darkness by the way that we speak. We challenge each other. We admonish each other. When we see things happening in our lives that are not consistent with the Gospel, when we see things that are sinful in each other, we speak the truth with love. Because we love each other. We sit down with a friend and we invite them to coffee and say, you know, it looks like you're struggling. It looks like you're struggling with some things. And because I love you, I'm bringing it up. Because I want to encourage you to follow Christ. Because I want to remind you of His love for you. Of my love for you. There's not a time for us to be judgmental of each other. To condemn each other. But to admonish each other. We have this responsibility to each other as family. I can tell you what is not loving. What is not loving is to see someone sinning, especially a brother or sister in Christ, and to not talk with them about it. That issue there fundamentally is saying like you don't care. We have a responsibility to each other to speak the truth in love. Now it gets more difficult when we are called to expose or to, to admonish people outside of our church. Because they don't play by the same rules that we do. They don't have the same beliefs that we do. But we can still speak to them. We see our friends living lives that are, that are broken and sinful, things that are destructive. We can say this to them. We can say, you're, you're destroying your life. The choices that you are making are not the best way for you. Have this faith in Jesus. I believe that He changes things. And He's given us a way to live that makes things good. Not easy, but good. That we can encourage our neighbors, our friends, the people we work with, as hard as it may be, that there is something better than the choices that they're making. We're called to expose, to shine light on the darkness, to encourage them and admonish them to follow Christ. We have this responsibility. This responsibility to each other, to the people outside of our church. So Paul says, be careful how you walk. Or as the, as, our, as the NIV translates, be careful how you live. Be discerning in the way that you live. Not as the unwise, not living by the wisdom of the world around us, but by the wisdom that is given to us in Scripture. You see, the world has a wisdom that says life, wise things are about making more money, about being more successful, about having more things, about doing all these things to get what you need. That's wisdom of our world. Biblical wisdom is different. Wisdom in Scripture is following God. Whatever that looks like. Faithfully following Christ. Following the words that God has given us. That is wisdom in the biblical sense. So when Paul says, be wise, this is what he means. Be wise in the biblical sense. Because we do things that are foolish to the world. Paul talked about it in his letter to the Corinthians. I preach Christ and Him crucified. This is foolishness to the Greeks. Savior crucified? Ridiculous to those who don't understand. To those who do not follow God. But to us, it's life. To us, it is life in its fullest sense. For us to devote our tithes and our offerings to the church. 10% of what we make. There's craziness to people outside the church. They don't get it. You could use that money, save that all year and go on holiday. Some boy's beautiful. What are you doing giving that away? It's foolishness. 
But it's biblical wisdom to be generous. To devote our tithes and offerings to God. To be generous with people who need help. This is biblical wisdom. This is what Paul is exhorting us to. To be wise. He says, be wise and redeem the time. This is a Greek way of saying, make the most of the time. Grow in your faith. Grow closer to Jesus. Whether that's in small groups or or devotions or private study, do what you have to do to draw closer to Jesus Christ. To understand His love for you better. To realize it more deeply. And then serve. Serve people. Serve people in our community. Serve your neighbors or your friends. And share this good news with them. Redeem this time. Make the most of this time because the days are short. We don't know how long we have. We don't know how long we have in our life. We don't know when Christ will return. But it is urgent. The time is urgent to share this faith, to serve our brothers and sisters, to serve the people of our community, and to draw closer to Christ. Redeem the time because the days are short. And then be filled with the Spirit. Don't fill yourself with wine. Don't get drunk on wine because it's debauchery. Or in the Greek, the word here is something more like because it wastes you. It wastes your time and who God has made you. It's a waste of you. But rather be filled with the, God, with the Holy Spirit. Speak to each other of encouraging things. Speak to each other in hymns and spiritual songs. Encourage each other in Christ. Encourage your neighbors and your friends in Christ to know Him and to follow Him. And then speak in gratitude. Constantly giving thanks to God for what He's done. Giving thanks to God for this life that He's given us. This redemption that He has worked in us. We've come back to gratitude. And as we close today, we come back to the center of our faith again. We come back to the beginning. That all of this comes out of our love for Christ. All of this comes out of realizing more and more how much He loves you. That Jesus Christ loves you. The Son of God loves you. God our Father loves you. And our response to this is love back. Gratitude and loving each other. Once again, we come back to the center of who we are. A people in a loving relationship with the living God. Amen.